I'm Arya Schwartz, and welcome to the Windsider Show, where it's all about the W. We are back with WNBA stocks with myself and Owen Pence, where we take a look at where the market is in the W. our show please consider joining our patreon community patreon.com backslash windsider for less than a cup of coffee a month you can directly show support for the hard work we do covering the w and don't forget to see our amazing staff's written content over at windsider.com that's windsider.com you're looking to get tickets for the upcoming WNBA season thanks to our sponsor TickPick. you don't have to worry the original no fee ticketing site and official ticketing partner of the defending WNBA champion chicago sky Use the link T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K.com backslash Winsider. That's TickPick.com backslash Winsider for all your upcoming ticket purchases for the NFL, WNBA, NBA, or any other event. Owen, welcome back. It's great to have you. I've been really enjoying uh, our our check-ins on the WNBA market. Uh, you know, WNBA stock has become a fun little uh, cornerstone of the Winsider show. How you doing? I'm doing tremendously. It's awesome. I couldn't agree more. Absolutely loving it. And now it's fun because we're kind of into the rhythm of the season and we're starting to get some of these full rosters back. So to to really engage with who's on the up and up and who's on the down, it's a, it's a little more kind of firm in our analysis now knowing that, you know, we're not basing takes off of one or two games. So still early, still very early, but uh, it's sunny here in Brooklyn. It's beautiful outside i'm ready to get into it yeah it's not beautiful and sunny here in dc um i was gonna go for a run today but it's gonna be pouring rain as it has been for the last couple days um but uh let's hop right into it now typically we start with the teams that are on the up and up we like to keep it positive uh for the start and i make you go first but you know what it's our third time doing it so let's flip it on its head um i believe the last time we did a stock uh uh, wmba stocks it was a week ago last monday so it was like the 15th or something so we're back and we're going to start off with the down teams and i know you have a team for this but i'm going to go first the la sparks um a team that has gotten a lot of attention in each one of these episodes that we've done so far uh they started off hot beating the the defending champion chicago sky in overtime and then they beat the fever but since then it has just been a downward spiral uh, with a four-game losing streak starting in Atlanta and uh, continuing through Connecticut and Minnesota uh, and then uh, the Seattle Storm. The interesting aspect of that, obviously, is that a lot of those were away games. I think Neka Gumake coined the phrase they were on, like, a, what was it, the home opener tour? Because on their road trip, which happens every time, you know, early in the season you go on a road trip like that, you're probably going to be the home opening uh, opponent. And as we all know, it's hard to beat a team at home. It's even harder to beat them in their home opener. But to kind of cement the whole fact that uh, they're on the downtrend, that they've really struggled, I think has to be that in their home opener um, against the the Minnesota Lynx, they couldn't pull it off. Um, and, you know, they had that advantage. They had the stars in the crowd and they still haven't. 
They have not found a flow, uh, a proper role for Kennedy Carter in my mind. They finally have Katie Lou back, uh, but kind of questions on how long it's going to take her to get, you know, blended into the system. Liz Cambage, who has been putting up some really good numbers, has not been as dominant, and they've struggled to find a way to really, you know, mesh her into the system. I mean, early on when we talked, they were doing a lot of, you know, uh, swapping her and NECA just staggering them a little bit. So it wasn't too, too crowded or anything like that, but they've really struggled. Um, me personally, I like the idea of surrounding, you know, NECA and Liz with just a lot of shooters. Um, but that's not what we've seen. I think my biggest critique, honestly, of Derek Fisher is that he hasn't really tried different lineups. I haven't really seen him experiment too much. Um, yeah. Thoughts on LA. Well, I'm going to start with something you kind of touched upon briefly, which is the Sparks home opener. And and it's, it is good to, to mention all the context here, which is that they played the majority of the beginning of their schedule on the road, which is difficult for anyone. But we got to talk about the Lynx game. We got to talk about the end of it because, uh, you know, there was a lot of discussion about this on social media in the moment, and then it kind of faded. But, I mean... I've tried to be fair to Derek Fisher over the years. I think I have been. I really like some of the stuff that he does occasionally. Um, it's getting to a point where you've got to question the fact that Derek Fisher is responsible for for you know the front office and the coaching decisions that this team makes. And if we're gonna if we're gonna look at the coaching, the end of the Lynx game was completely inexcusable. For those who didn't catch it. Uh, Kayla McBride in her first game back played tremendously for Minnesota, uh, gets an and one, puts Minnesota up three with two seconds left. Sparks call a timeout and advance the ball. Again, you need three points to force overtime. Derek Fisher draws up a lob for Liz Cambage, which goes completely awry. The, the ball clanks off the rim uh, and time expires as Jordan Canada tries to get a desperation heave up and uh, and Los Angeles loses. Now, this is just one little instance, but I think to me the thing that was more worrisome was less the fact that it was a clearly botched, inexplicable play call and more the fact that Fisher didn't own up to it after the game. Uh, Lexi Brown in her post-game presser, which us who were virtual didn't get to see due to technical difficulties, apparently kind of had a little eye roll when asked about the final play call, said, I, I don't know. Well, really real quick, I just want to say, Lexi doesn't do little eye rolls. It was a big eye roll. <laughs> fair, fair. That's a good correct. I haven't seen, I haven't seen it because like you said, but yeah, I'm just going to go. <laughs> so, so Lexi said that, then we get, then we get NECA. And she, you know, gives a great answer. She always does, but essentially says that the play call was for a three and a two, which is a major head scratcher. So, okay. So we asked coach what the play call was. And he tells us that, uh, you know, there were essentially two options. One would be that Cambage gets fouled. She, she makes the first free throw intentionally misses the second. You get a put back. Now that to me is BS because why in the world would the Lynx foul you when they're when they're up three? It makes absolutely no sense for them to send Liz Cambage to the line right there. Then he says the second option was that there was supposed to be a pin down screen for Lexi. Lexi comes off the pin down, catches the ball, hits the three. You go back and look at the film. 
Lexi Brown is nowhere near coming off a pin down and there's no screen set for her. The only person who could have been available to set the screen was Katie Lou, who's inbounding the ball. Uh, she's not even making any indications that she's about to go set a screen. So if that is the situation in which you lose your home opener to a team that's at the bottom of the standings right now, that's a major issue. The fact that the coach can't come out and say, yeah, you know what? I messed up. Because if you own up to it, okay, great. We, we all make mistakes. But the fact that there was confusion amongst the players, Fisher denies that there was confusion, and then essentially tells us that the play was for a, a Lexi, you know, pin down three-pointer when the film says otherwise, that to me is a, is a source of major concern when Fisher is not only the coach of this team, but he's he's in charge of the, the basketball operations side as well. The one positive I want to mention here, just so I don't completely bash the team, because it, it's looking bad, and I think the stuff you said about Hollywood is also a big issue. She needs to be a bigger, bigger part of this team. Um, I, I just don't see a way in which this team scores the ball consistently enough to, to justify Kennedy Carter, you know, essentially being a, a, a backup who gets 10 minutes or so a game just doesn't make sense. But the one clear positive is Lexi Brown, who, you know, played at Athletes Unlimited this offseason, really gained some confidence, uh, you know, got a ring, but really didn't get any minutes with the sky last year. And she's just been killing it. Always been a tenacious perimeter defender. Her shot just looks absolutely awesome right now. And that's the type of player they need. They need shooting in a desperate way. But if you're not going to take advantage of the shooter who's hot, who's on your team when it matters in the clutch, I, I have a lot of questions. Well, well, also, I mean, I don't want to harp on the Sparks for too long because that's not what the show's about. But it, it's an interesting thing because, like, first of all, like you said, like Lexi had already made a couple big shots in that game. Um, we know Lexi has a history with Minnesota. You know she wants to be the one to send Minnesota on the road packing with a with an L. Um, so I completely agree with everything you said about, about the play calls and everything like that. There's, there's so many questions. I mean, yeah, there's a lot to unpack there. I think the interesting aspect is as good as Lexi has played, like when Lexi signed on this team, I don't think just with the thought process of Christy Tolliver coming back, I got, I'm, I'm going to go on a limb and assume that the LA Sparks were not thinking of having Lexi all year, the way Lexi has played. She has forced the hand where the Sparks can't cut her. They can't waive her, and they're going to have to waive one of these draft picks um, or suspend her. Or they're going to have to make some movement when Christy Tolliver eventually uh, does come back. I have no idea when she's coming back, so I don't pay attention to the NBA. Um, tell me, what team are you picking for down? So I think that the the other down stock this week is is the most obvious one and probably the team that's been talked about the most, um, you know, over the last week or so. And that's the Phoenix Mercury. And I'm going to start this off, uh, you know, as we have uh, every week so far on this show, which is to say free Brittany Griner. It's the most important thing in the WNBA right now that we talk about. Uh, we need to to bring Brittany home as soon as possible. And, you know, just as always praying for, for her, you know, well-being and, and mental health. Um, so the, the situation in Phoenix is, is already in a, in a weird spot because how can you judge a team who's missing its best player due to an absolute nightmare, horrific situation? It's, it's difficult, but we have to, to talk about the team that is on the floor right now and, 
obviously, unless you've you've completely not been paying attention. Uh, there's some real chemistry issues on this team. Skylar Diggins-Smith and Diana Taurasi got into it on the sidelines. Uh, we we don't really know what about, but uh, both of them were were clearly incensed in the moment. And since then, Skylar has been away from the team. Uh, the team is listing it as a non-COVID illness. Um, and in the games that she has missed, the Mercury have been essentially destroyed uh save for you know a good half here and there now again no griner best player not something they could have accounted for you know no one's fault within the organization that's just what happened um but this team is looking like a shell of itself in other ways and i think the main one being that there seems to be this tension between the other two members of the big three who are active and available. Um, and, you know, the, the st- statistics reflect this. I think that one uh, thing again to mention is uh, that they've had a brutal schedule to start the season. They've got the aces three times already, and they've lost all three games, and none of them have been particularly close. Uh, they kept it close in the first half on Saturday. The second game was probably the closest of the three. The first was a complete blowout. So a rough early season schedule. And then given the... Well, well, not... I mean, I will say as rough as this early season schedule has been, they did get a... I, I, I'm weary to call this a blessing because it's definitely not. It's a very serious thing. But they did get handed uh, two easy games against the Seattle Storm with Brandon Stewart uh, and and uh, Epiphany Prince not playing due to COVID or safety, whatever health and safety protocol. Like, think about that, right? If Stewie and Epiphany Prince play in those two games, we might be talking about a team without a win yet. Totally, totally. So you know, it, it's a it's it's not looking good. They're ninth in net rating right now. Um, there's kind of you know a gap between the Sparks in eighth place and then a big drop off to Phoenix at nine. Indiana, Minnesota, New York are the bottom three, and those teams have have really, you know, just clearly been bad so far. So Phoenix is is in a group that it does not want to be in. I think if you're going to mention the the positives on the floor, you'd say that Diamond to Shields is continuing to look better, which is wonderful to see. Um, and you know, Tarasi still has flashes uh, offensively where she's she's just dominant. She's great. She changes the the whole geometry of the floor with, with the gravity that she kind of possesses with her shooting abilities. But, you know, as has been the case late in her career, uh, she's also often, if not always, the worst defender on the floor. And so the margin for error with this team is, is very thin. Um, it just does not seem to be clicking. I don't really want to speculate on what went down between Skylar and Diana. And it's a real sticky situation because Tarasi is obviously the number one player in franchise history. So you have this loyalty towards her. Um, but if we're looking in the here and now, I mean, you kind of have to have to say that Skylar might be, if not just definitively, is more important to to their future as a franchise on the floor. And if she's really unhappy and displeased with something, you know, within the organization and going on in the locker room. You need to be proactive in addressing that. You you can't just let her kind of sit out as Diana continues to play these games and you lose by 20 and 30 points. Not a good look um, and and just a tough situation that this team is is finding itself in early in the season. 
Yeah, and, and there's so much, you know, again, we're not going to speculate here. One of the things that, that I just want to throw out there, and some might argue, hey, this is speculation, is like everyone assumes that the the altercation or whatever you want to call it um, on the sidelines was Skylar and Diana fighting with each other. If you watch the video, Skylar looks upset on, on the bench, shaking her leg. She stands up. Turner tries to calm her down. Uh, that does not work. Then Tarasi tries to calm her down. That does not work. And then they start screaming at each other. For all we know, there was something else or somebody else that she was upset about. And that's where I think we kind like we've all just assumed and probably maybe it is right that it's between her and Tarasi. I don't know that. And I feel like we're kind of almost, you know, pigeonholing ourselves by assuming that that's what the issue is. I completely agree with you. Let's be honest. Dennis Rossi arguably isn't even the third best player on this team. Like, let's be real about that. Uh, granted, in my mind, I'm, I still consider Brittany Griner on this team. Like, I can't think of the Phoenix Mercury without Brittany Griner, free Brittany, uh, like you said. Um, yeah, you know, I, I before we move on to the up teams, because I think you kind of hit everything for, for the Mercury there. The one thing that, you know, I'm going to give myself a pat on the back with L.A. I said it's either going to be glorious or it's going to be a train wreck. With the Mercury, I said, look, you don't have Brittany Griner, MVP. You got some big names. You are not going to be able to sustain a, a positive growth season. And I, I just don't know, for the Mercury at least, I understand, yes, they had a really hard schedule early on. They're still going to have to you know, play Chicago coming up. Uh, they're going to have to play, heck, they're going to play the Sparks soon. And we're going to see them play Connecticut also like there's there's some tough games coming up um I don't see it necessarily getting too much easier for this team and I really hope we see Skylar back on on the court let's talk about teams that are going up I'll go first um I'm going with the Connecticut Sun I mean the way Alyssa Thomas has been playing of recently has been amazing Bree Jones has been balling out John Cole Jones is finally getting into form um I spoke about this a lot I don't think excuse me, I don't think there was enough attention given to the fact that, you know, a lot of these superstar top tier players like John Qual Jones are so used to playing right up until the WNBA season that when her team was no longer going to be involved in, in, in the EuroLeague uh, final four tournament, whatever you want to call it. And she uh, came back stateside she's just sitting around. I mean, obviously, yeah, players don't just get completely out of shape. I'm sure she was working out, but it's not the same as, you know, playing against top tier athletes. And so I thought that there was going to be uh, a curve that's going to take her to get back into the season, get ready um, and, and kind of flow like that. And yeah, you know, a little bit of a, a slow start losing game number one uh, to the sun by two. It was intense. I'm uh, sorry. Sun lost to Liberty uh, they, by two. It, it was intense. I was like, wait a second. What? They, they played themselves. They lost, lost to the Sun. I mean, they beat themselves. Let's be honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's what I meant. Yeah. <laughs> um, but but the way that this team has kind of shifted around. Now, granted, you can turn back and you can say, hey, they played the Liberty once. They played the Sparks once. And they played the Fever twice. So not the hardest schedule to start the season. I agree with you based on what we've been talking about, what we've learned about these teams. But... I'm excited to see this team. And as they always say, all the coaches say this, all the players say this, you don't want to peak too early. I see this team each game getting better and better. And I see Kurt Miller, because they're playing these games and they're getting nice, nice size leads, 
testing the waters of his bench. As we know, Kurt Miller uh, is notorious for not going deep in his bench. Uh, any thoughts on Connecticut before you tell us who your up team is? Yeah, totally. I, I think you nailed it in basically all aspects of your analysis. The, the main thing I was going to mention to temper the excitement is what you said, which is they've played five games, two against New York, two against Indiana, and one against Los Angeles. Extremely weak schedule. They have not yet been tested. I want to see this team against the top four or five teams in the league, which we will get to see soon, and I'm quite excited for that. Um, you know, as far as what we have to go off of, yeah, they've looked they've looked incredible. AT is playing uh, at an MVP level. The, the net rating, obviously, again, inflated by the weakness of their schedule, but their net rating is by far the, the best in the league through, through the first five games. Um, and I think that the thing you said at the end is kind of what's most exciting for me. If you think about like the bubble season, um, Connecticut is kind of the opposite arc for them. They, they got off to a really rough start and then were kind of forced to, to scramble the whole year and then really got back into the thick of things and, and had a, a, ended up having a great season. Uh, but if you looked at the minute totals for Dewana Bonner and and Alyssa Thomas and some of their primary players that season, you know, they were playing 35 out of every 40 minutes. Not exactly a sustainable model when a lot of these players, you know, have to play two seasons. But if you look at the minute totals right now, uh, you know, Jasmine Thomas, the only one over 30 minutes a game, everyone else's um, minutes have been extremely manageable. Um, and so I think that... Uh, you know, what we've seen from this bench has been really, really exciting. I think Dijanae Carrington, we just talked about uh, Lexi Brown, you know, being someone who played at Athletes Unlimited and just gained a whole lot of confidence that we're really seeing this season uh, in her offensive repertoire. Dijanae Carrington's another one who's just making the most of, of her minutes right now and is exactly the type of player that this Connecticut team desperately needs, which is kind of someone who can come in on this backcourt and, and really just give a little bit of offensive punch when, when they're lacking it. Um, so I think that's huge. I want to amend what I said earlier. Uh, Alyssa Thomas is the only one over 30 minutes a game so far. I apologies for the mistake, not Jasmine, but um, regardless, the point being that, you know, this early easy schedule so far has afforded Kurt Miller, the luxury to see what he has in Nia Cloudon and to give Natisha Heideman, you know, big minutes and to give Dijanae, you know, 24 minutes a game. I don't think anyone uh, anticipated that. So I'd, I'd be very enthused um, with the caveat that, you know, they haven't played anyone yet. And really the ultimate question is, can this team maximize both Alyssa Thomas and John Quell Jones at the same time against the best teams? They did a good job of that in 2019. Uh, but it's 2022 now, and and we'll we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, the the only thing I want to add to that is is just so our listeners can can get an idea of it. Kerr Miller is so used to playing like a a five six person rotation, right? And you think I'm exaggerating? I'm really not. But now he has the ability with this roster, and with Duana Bonner back, and having Courtney Williams, you have Carrington, you have Heideman. I know he's, you know, Cloudon still has some work to do. Uh, you have Holmes and you got Bree Jones. Like they have legitimately four players that you can make an argument on a different WNBA team would be starting. So, yeah, that, who, who's your up team? Totally. So 
this is the team, this is the final team we're talking about this week on Stocks Up and Stocks Down. And if you're a fan of this team, you you might be mad at us at this point because it's week three. We have yet to discuss this team. And this team, you know, I'd say without a doubt, it's pretty hard to make a case against what I'm about to say. This team, the Las Vegas Aces, have been the story of the season so far. Um, I mean, just an incredibly fun bunch to watch. And I think a very rewarding start to the season for all of us who have watched the Aces for the last handful of years under Bill Lambeer, who I must point out is a legend, is a three-time WNBA champion, is a multiple-time NBA champion. The guy has it all and and clearly kind of beloved by his players. It was wonderful seeing them all swarm him uh, on the sidelines after they won uh, last week. So no shade towards Bill Lambeer. I'm done with that. But, you know, I think we all knew it. I think most of us knew it. He just was not the right coach for the modern game and was was really stifling the potential of most of the players on this roster for the last few seasons. And to see a team who just feels empowered right now, and that's the word that I that I would, you know, assign to to this early season scorching start for Las Vegas is just the empowerment that these players are playing with. Um, obviously I'll start with one of my all-time faves who I feel very validated in how she's playing right now. Jackie Young, I've been defending her for years as people have been calling her overrated. Um, I mean, no one's had a better start to the season. Jackie's guarding the other team's best perimeter offensive player. She's arguably been the Aces best offensive player as well. Uh, Asia Wilson, just dominating folks on defense, doing what she does on offense, uh, Kelsey Plum is having a career year. The system that Becky Hammond has come in and installed in Las Vegas essentially gives the power to the players. There was a uh, there was a great clip that you'll see on WNBA League Pass during commercials where I don't know if this was in training camp or one of the early practices, but it doesn't really matter. Regardless, she's saying, hey, if, if we're running a play and you're open, don't keep running the play, shoot the ball. And you're seeing that these players are just playing with such flow and such ease and such confidence. And they're running teams off the floor. Um, A a few stats for you here, um, if you will. The Aces have a 110.3 offensive rating, which means for for those unfamiliar with the stat, uh, that they're scoring 110 plus points per 100 possessions, which is best in the league and is in striking distance of the 2019 Mystics who had the best offensive rating of all time. So something to follow, you know, going through this season is the race for the best offensive rating ever for the nerds out there, such as myself. Um, <laughs> the aces are first in defensive rebounding percentage. So they're grabbing all the misses, which I think is very notable given that, you know, people always talked about, Hey, can this team, win with Asia Wilson at the five and Dierica Hamby at the four. They they always played so big under Lambeer and killed teams on the glass. And people wondered, well, you know, will they have to sacrifice rebounding if they downsize? They haven't. They have not sacrificed rebounding at all. They're the best defensive rebounding team in the league. They are first in pace, playing at the fastest pace in the league. And they're first in turnover percentage, which might be most impressive of anything for a team that's playing so freely and quickly to also be uh, turning the ball over less than any other team in the W just means that these players aren't only being aggressive and looking for their offense, 
but they're also protecting the ball and protecting each possession and, and getting shots up, which is huge. You look at the opposite end of the spectrum. We talked about New York last week on the, on the down stocks. That's a team that's turning the ball over. It feels like every other possession, they're not even getting shots with Las Vegas. It, it's just every time down the floor, they're getting a good look. They're passing into better looks and, and they're taking the open shots. I mean, I'll, I'll go back to Jackie Young. She's, she's hitting three pointers. She's getting to the free throw line. They're doing all the things that efficient basketball teams do. And you've just got to be absolutely thrilled if you're if you're an aces fan or anyone within the organization because the vibes are so good the product is so watchable and they're winning games it they're they're having fun it looks like they're having fun the stats the numbers the record they're clearly having fun it it's honest it's they are so you know we going into the season there's a lot of talk about you know the la sparks being showtime sparks um, and being that fast-paced, high-octane offense and in-your-face impressive defense, that has been the Las Vegas Aces. I want to echo what you said about Jackie Young. I mean, she's putting her name in the early conversation for Defensive Player of the Year, the way she's playing. Um, I want to, you know, just talk about the fact that we really haven't seen Raquana. Like, this team has more elements to it um, that I I just think, yes, is there a depth issue? Yes. Are there still question marks? Yes. They're not, you know, you don't start off six and one and win a championship the next day. That's not how it works. There's much more to go. They're number one in the W right now. I agree with you. It is a story. And heck, I'll say it early on. You know how like when you, after a team wins a championship, like heck, even the Chicago sky, there's a point where you just kind of like feel it. Like to, to quote a, a great movie that I grew up watching with, with my family, the blues brothers, I'm on a mission from God. Like it, it almost feels like at a certain point when that championship team hits a certain point in the season, it just feels like they're on a mission and nothing can stop them. I, I don't know if I'm ready to say that's the aces now because it's six and one early on in the season, but it has, I, I'm getting a whiff of that. You know what I mean? Like I can smell that. Um, they're a scary team. And I, I really don't know what else there is to say about that. I mean, they're, they're just a scary, scary team. Uh, let's move on to our closeout segment of the show. It's called Stock Watch. Um, I'll go first, the, and I'll keep it brief. The team on my Stock Watch, Chicago Sky. You know, they finally got Clea Copper back. This roster is now set. Um, we've seen so much growth through them throughout the early season. I'm excited to see what happens now that we have uh, three finals MVPs on one roster, along with the best point guard, uh, arguably in league history. It's it, like, it, this is a video game roster. Um, this isn't expected to happen in real life, but it just did. And I'm, I am so excited to watch them throughout this season. Who's your stock watch? I'm so excited too. Let me just say that Candace Parker in, in cause first game back with the triple double. I mean, they, they've got Azure Stevens coming off the bench um, it's it's going to be incredibly fun to watch them all season. Stockwatch over here, we have the Dallas Wings, um, a team that you know I had in the first uh, in the pilot episode of of this podcast. I had the Wings as the stock down team, which you know was unfair. They'd played one game, but we that was all we had. So I I had to I had to come up with something. 
But Dallas looks great. Uh, They're fifth in net rating right now. The top four teams, Connecticut, Vegas, Chicago, and Washington, I think everyone kind of assumes as among the league's elite. So for Dallas to be fifth right there behind that group is extremely promising. Marina Mabry is is just, you know, continuing to improve. Can we talk for a quick second about the the Notre Dame players thriving in the league right now? You got Jess Shepard killing it in Minnesota. You've got Jackie with the career year. And then not just Marina, but Arike, you know, seems to be taking another step, I think, which is arguably the most important thing right now for the wings is that she's she's seeming to get a little more consistent and just finding her offense within the flow of the game uh, way better versus kind of forcing it. You know, she still has the bad shots. She can get better on defense, better as a playmaker. There's a lot to improve upon, but this team just has so many pieces, so many good rotation players. Izzy Harrison, you know, maybe one of the most underrated bigs in the league. Um, They're just playing really well. And the reason they're on my stock watch is because they've got uh, two with Connecticut this week. So let's see what you got against you know, one of the the top teams in the league. And and it'll also be fun to see Connecticut get tested a little more. So that's why the Wings are my stock watch team. Sweet. I, I love it. I agree with everything you're saying. The I'm I'm interested to see the Wings because because this is the fun team that we've all wanted to see, right? Like w- every year as as their core gets older and older, we kind of just wait and wait. Like when when are we finally going to see it? And I agree with you. These next two games against Connecticut, a little um, across the country series. I don't know. Uh, but I, I would I be shocked if if, you know, Dallas lost both? No. Would I be shocked if Dallas pulled away one? No. When, Dallas winning both. That would be a little bit of a shocker. Uh, this has been WNBA Stocks on the Windsider Show. Let me remind you, if you're looking to get tickets for the upcoming WNBA season, thanks to our sponsor, TickPick. You don't have to worry. Use the link TickPick dot com backslash windsider for all your ticket purchases for any event.